Open your Bible to James chapter 2, please. For connection, I'm going to read from verse 18. If you have not been with us, James is focusing on faith that results in works, and his argument in 14 through to 17 is that there is a necessity of works. And so he says to the person that says, oh, but I have faith, um, in verse 18, says, but someone will say, you have faith, that is, to James. And James uh, uh, responds and says, uh, I have works. Show me, or sorry, the guy says, I have works. And James says, well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abram our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? I'm going to end right there. Our focus this morning is going to be one part of verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? Um, The reason I'm doing that is because the second section demands a little bit more time and explanation, and I'll bring it together. Um, I don't preach next week, do I? I think it's Peter next week. Um, so I'll bring it together next time I preach. <clears throat> this morning, as we continue to look at this book, I want to draw attention uh, to the truth that you should be familiar with this morning. It's the same truth that has been repeated over and over. Faith without works is useless. You should know that by now. James wants the reader to know that faith without ongoing faithful works is dangerous, deceived, and dead. We have one goal, that is to understand what James means by this illustration in verse 25. And I want you to walk away this morning amazed at the grace of God. I want you to see the beauty of the sovereignty of God. And I want you to marvel at the saving and sanctifying work of God. That is not the outline. Those are the outcomes. You will see 
that God not only saves, but sanctifies, he changes a person. You will see that God is involved in the entirety of the life of his people. And you will see that God saves decrepit sinners such as you and I. So James reveals three truths about Rahab. Number one, Rahab's equality. Number two, Rahab's identity. And number three, Rahab's works. So let's begin by considering verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. This is proof that faith works. In this verse, there are a number of problems, and you may have picked it up already. We have a moral problem. She is called Rahab the prostitute as a believer. Ever wonder about that? Secondly, there's a theological problem. What comes first? Listen to this verse. Was uh, not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? What comes first? Justification or works? And then we have an ethical problem, which will be next time. She lies. Remember Rahab? She lies, but James says, was she not justified when she, quote-unquote, lies? Hmm, that's a problem, isn't it? So I'm trying, I'm going to try to deal with all three of them, and that's not the point of the sermon, but they will be included in the sermon. So first of all, let's look at Rahab's equality. Where do we see this? In the beginning of verse 5, there's a clause, or or I should say a phrase, that gives us the idea that James is trying to make a comparative statement. Take a listen. And in the same way, was not also. That is there for emphasis. Likewise. Literally, likewise and also was not Rahab. This is not insignificant. I believe in verbal plenary inspiration for those of you who have read biblical doctrine. That means every word has been inspired by God. Every word is breathed out and important. So even just a connecting word such as likewise carries some weight. And in our translation, it is in the same way. It's just literally the word likewise. It is used for dramatic effect to make what follows emphatic. The idea is not just similar to, but it carries the same weight as what has gone before. What has gone before? Well, the illustration of Abraham. What James is pointing to is that the great father of the Jewish faith, which is Abraham, who was saved prior to the introduction of the law, is now put on level ground with Rahab, literally Rahab, it's two A's in Greek, Rahab, the prostitute who lived without the law. Think about that. 
let that settle for a moment. You've heard that before in the New Testament. Likewise, just like this great man Abraham, James is saying, now look at this example of great faith. Rahab, and I'll get back to that in a moment's time. In both verse 21 and verse 25, there are descriptive terms. Take a look at it. Was not Abraham our father? What's the description about Abraham there? Our father. Listen to verse 25. And was not Rahab the prostitute? What's the description? The prostitute. In both verses, there's a descriptive element to both these people, and they are essential. They define who they were. Abraham is defined as the father of the Hebrews, but Rahab is identified and defined by her past as a what? Harlot. You may be thinking, not fair. Come on, Abraham wasn't that good. Hold on. You'll see the significance in a moment. The force of the, our phrase in the English translation, um, in verse 25, and in the same way, the force of this little word, which is likewise in Greek, gives the idea that comparatively to Abraham, or similarly, in, in similitude to his outstanding example, you have this example, Rahab, the prostitute. Did you catch that? It is more than, by, uh, than just saying, oh, by the way. No, he's saying, just like Abraham is an example of exemplary faith, I want to give you another example of exemplary faith. Rahab the prostitute. That should shock any Jew. To us, it would be like, eh, let's just read on. Why did he just do that? He places them on level ground. He makes Rahab's faith and example equal to Abraham's faith and example. You could not find a greater disparity, a greater separation between Abraham, who's called a friend of God in verse 23, and this woman who's on the opposite side of the spectrum, who's called a harlot. harlot. There's a reason why this chasm exists. By the mere mention of this little word, and in the same way, or likewise, he has just taken Abraham and Rahab and placed them side by side together on equal footing. Does that sound familiar? What a beautiful illustration of what Paul would later explain in Galatians. No male, no female, no slave, no freedman. All are equal in the sight of God, before God, with regards to salvation. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to turn there because I don't have it in my notes. Listen to Galatians chapter 3. I think it's verse 27. <clears throat> but now that faith has come, verse 25, we are no longer under a guardian, which is the law, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, so the, the level ground is Christ, have put on Christ, that's been closed with Christ there, 
is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said what? You're all one. That is what he's doing in James. It's just the um, theological way of saying what Paul clearly explains. Before God, when he looks at you, at your faith in Christ, it is equal to anybody else's. So Abraham is not more important in faith than Rahab the prostitute is before God. Why? Because they both had faith in the same God. Abraham, with regard to faith, is not greater than this person called Rahab, the prostitute. Why this identity, Rahab, the prostitute? So let's deal with that for a moment. So not only is there an equality that James highlights, but also Rahab's identity is highlighted. The second truth that I want you to take note of is just this little phrase, Rahab the prostitute. There's a number of problems that this has caused in theological circles. Why does he mention it in this way? Rahab the harlot, some of your translations will say. Is this a model problem? How can a believer be called a prostitute? The inclusion of what she was in this context, as well as in other contexts in the Old Testament, as well as in Hebrews, as you will see later, is the same way that the author of Ruth writes about Ruth. What is she called in the book of Ruth? Ruth the Moabitess, but we have Ruth the Moabite. That is what she is identified consistently throughout the book. Why? To make sure that the reader knows who she is, because she's a significant person. So it's not so much the identity of a harlot that is in view, but who she is and what she was as a person before God. And I'll point out that in a moment's time. Both Ruth the Moabites and Rahab the harlot are used to highlight one thing. They are the most unlikely candidates to receive the grace of God. Think about that. What was Ruth? An enemy of the Jews. What was Rahab? An enemy of the Jews. Rahab came from a background of degradation and insignificance, and yet she's elevated to the same equal standing as Abraham. That's the beauty of God's grace. There are at least two reasons why he mentions Rahab the prostitute. And first is a cultural hist- historical stigma. Understand, it is a, a bad word. It is a word that unsettles the hearer. I took some, some time to study prostitution in the Old Testament. Um, I have these points of interest in my study, and this was one of it. I wanted to find out, well, what does prostitution look like in the Old Testament? So let me take a moment and explain a little bit about how prostitution worked in the Old Testament. <clears throat> in the ancient Near Eastern context, a prostitute was normally a woman, normally. There are certain cases, and in... Um, uh, uh, um, temple 
uh, prostitution, there were some men. But in most cases, and especially in the Old Testament, um, women were prostitutes. Now, the word prostitute had a wide range of meaning. Let me give you some. It is this seductive woman of Proverbs 5. I'm not going to read it. You can go home and read it. It's the woman that Solomon says to his son, you avoid her. She flatters her eyes. She stands on the corner. She waves at you. She says, come to my house. I've got something to show you. Come, my husband's not home. She's identified as a prostitute. But also, take note of this. Those who engaged in premarital relations were considered to be prostitutes. Let that sink in. Those who were not married were considered and had premarital relations were considered to be a prostitute, as well as those who committed adultery were considered prostitutes. Now, when we hear the word prostitute, what do we think of? Mostly the professional person who does that job. All these were considered prostitutes. Remember Dinah in the Old Testament. I think it's chapter... Is that 32 of Genesis? I forget. It's in the maybe 20s or 30s. She's the daughter of Leah. Um, I was going to say Leah, but Leah and, and uh, Jacob. The brothers go out and avenge her. You may remember the context there. The brothers uh, uh, tell Hamar and his company, well, if you want to be part of us, then you've got to circumcise all your men. And then they go three days later and they wipe them all out. They go avenge their daughter. And Jacob's response is, what on earth did you do? They, they may come and wipe us out. Hang on, Jacob, they're gone. They've been wiped out. Your sons took uh, um, care of the problem. But listen to what the sons say. Should he, this is Hamar, treat our sister as a prostitute? Wasn't her fault, right? She was abused. And yet that word applies to the situation. And he says, should they say, should he have the right to treat her as one who's not married? He does not. And so they go out and kill those men. The sin of prostitution is condemned by God. Listen to Leviticus 19.29. Do not profane, profane your daughters by making her, uh, your daughter by making her a prostitute. Do not allow your daughter to go around like a busy bee. Lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. I did not realize this, but I hope your fathers caught that. Did you hear? Listen to how this is worded. Do not profane your daughter by causing her, allowing her, or making her a prostitute. Don't be involved in it and don't allow it. Who's responsible for the purity of the daughter in the house? The father. The father. It was his duty to protect his daughter's purity. That is why Jacob's brother, um, sons take responsibility. He did not, but they did. Fathers were responsible for the sanctity and purity of their daughters. A person who has relations with another outside the covenant of marriage is acting like 
a prostitute. It is a, it is a bad word by nature. However, our culture has a hands-off fatherhood policy. She's, she's an adult. She can choose what she wants. My body, my what? Choice. No. That is not biblical at all. You as a young lady should honor the Lord with your body and honor your father and your family with your choices. Let me move on. Nevertheless, the, the, the judgment on these women were harsh as well. And as a result of that, the nation felt that judgment. The Bible says no prostitute will ever enter the congregation of Israel. Think about that. No prostitute will ever enter the congregation. Don't think church, think of assembly of Israel. What was Rahab? Prostitute. To marry a prostitute was a shame and carried a negative stigma. So from a Jewish perspective, as James writes, as a Jew, the mere mention of this term is an offense to the ears, to the heart, to the soul, and it's read in a synagogue. Just imagine that the men reading this. James says, I want to highlight an example of exemplary faith. Rahab, the prostitute. It is mentioned in a way to unease the conscience, but also to show that this woman, who did not have the privileges of the law like they did, who didn't have the benefit of direct revelation like they did, the blessing of God's presence like they did, this woman showed exemplary faith. It's a display of God's favor on an undeserving sinner, Rahab, the prostitute. She had much less than the immediate audience and every Hebrew person before her. Yet she stands out in Jewish history, not in Gentile history. In Jewish history, she is remembered as a woman of faith who trusted her God. What a testimony. So James highlights her to showcase the reality of God's power and grace to save even a harlot, condemned harlot. God has the capacity to change people's lives, even as he did Rahab. She was one of the most improbable people to find grace before God, yet she did, not because she deserved it, not because she worked for it, not because she earned it, but because... God chose to bestow grace upon her. Singled out. The stigma of what she was became a testimony of God's saving grace of sinners. Rahab, the prostitute, is not a condemnation of who she is. It is there to magnify whom God saved. It's like you saying, if you look at your past... Denver the drunkard or, or Denver the, the fool. Whatever you want to add, whatever identified you as the past, that is what you would have behind your name if you have a testimony written about you. This is not to condemn her, but to highlight God's grace in saving her. So there's the historical 
stigma. But then there's also the cultural historical situation. She was a sworn enemy of the Jews. And as a Canaanite, the Lord decided to destroy them because of their disobedience. So turn over to Joshua chapter 1. This phrase occurs, I think, of three or four times. I'm only going to read it once, but listen to verse uh, 10 and 11. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that what? Yahweh your God is giving you to possess. That last um, uh, 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 clause is repeated over and over in this book. The Lord, your God, is giving it to you to possess. She lived in Jericho, which is on the border just after you cross uh, um, uh, Jordan. One of the first cities you'll see would be Jericho. And uh, she lived um, in, a, in, in Canaan, in the place that God has targeted to be worthy of divine judgment. He's going to destroy them. He condemned the city because of their disobedience, I believe uh, Hebrews 11 says. But she as a prostitute stood condemned already. Her lifestyle condemned. And on top of that, she was a woman. So she, she, she had a number of things that counted against her. Understand that the Jews had present recollective knowledge of what I'm telling you. By the mere mention, did not they have the prostitute. That is all that they needed to know. The entirety of Joshua chapter 2 would flood in as a historical understanding to them. We don't have that convenience. This woman who was to be consumed by the wrath of God as the rest of Jericho not only found favor in the eyes of God, but became an exemplary example of faith. So why mention Rahab the prostitute? The contextual reason is to draw a mammoth contrast between Abraham and her, but also to highlight the beauty of of God's grace. It is sad that there are some translations that have changed the wording in the Bible, Rahab the prostitute to Rahab the innkeeper. If you have innkeeper, draw a line through it and write prostitute or harlot. There is no contrast and there is no majesty or glory given to God if you change the significance of who she was. Let me consider thirdly, Rahab's works. Why is Rahab an example of faith that works? Like we have seen with Abraham, stay in Joshua chapter 1, because we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a moment's time. Like we have seen with Abraham, there, there was a history of um, his life that was displayed from when God called him right through to the moment he was called to sacrifice his son. There was a history, a, a, a litany of examples of his faithfulness. And it's not in the context of James chapter 2, so we have to fill that in. But there is a history of who Rahab was when you go to J, uh, uh, Joshua chapter 2. So if you don't mind just turning back to Joshua 
chapter 2. Like I said, um, I mention this quite often because we don't always know this, and if you're new to the church, you probably would not know this. The, the immediate audience are Jews. And so James, as a Jew, writes to the Jews, and they have a historical background information that they share. So James does not have to go and explain the detail of Rahab because they know it. They are taught the law constantly, and they, are, they, they, they read the history of the nation often. So they would have known this, but we have to fill in the gap. So um, Joshua chapter 2, we will see the quality of the faith, and we will see kind of the, the stuff that she does to demonstrate um, how precious her example actually is. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. <clears throat> they went and came into the house of a prostitute. I just want to pause there. Um, there are those writers, some writers who say, well, that is suspicious. Why on earth would they be stopping as spies at the, as a, at the house of a prostitute? I don't know. It is suspicious. I don't know. But they do. I think it's by God's sovereign providence that they do. She's named, uh, um, whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And uh, one of the reasons I think that they do is because one of the most improbable places that you would um, find spies would be where the soldiers go and gather. That's smart, right? So you go and hang out with the soldiers, because uh, that's where the, um, often the, the soldiers went. And it was told, the king of Jericho, I wonder how he knew, behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab. She singled out. Out of all the women in Jericho, you can speak to the king, saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman have taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, uh, but I did not know where they were from. And when, uh, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she, brought, uh, but she had... Uh, brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalk, stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Just still there for now. This does create a bit of a dilemma, and I'm not going to deal with the lying now. I'll deal with that next week. She deceives and she sends them out a different way, which James actually picks up. In James chapter 2, he says, she received them and sent them out a heteros way. Those of you who have been in Shantan's class, what does that word mean? Another way. Another way of a different kind. Look down at verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to, the roof, uh, to them on the roof and said to them, 
I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt, um, uh, that all the inhabitants of the, melt, uh, of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, that is, burned to the ground. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Wow. That is sound theology. How does she know that? Just let let that settle for a moment. There's a number of things that I'm going to point out here. But she says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. That is a direct quote from God himself. Go in, for I have what? Given you the land. And she says, I know. The others didn't. They feared them because they thought that these were violent people going to burn us down and whatever. She says, you know what? I know that God has already given the city over. It's absolutely clear to me. But that is not as impressive as what she claims about God in verse um, 11. Because um, of you, for Yahweh your God, he is God in, heaven, in the heavens and above and on the earth below. Absolute statement of reality. There is something significant in how she says it and what she says. She says that there is no other God than your God who reigns in the heavens and controls over all the earth. You know what that is? An admission of what? God's sovereignty. Rahab, the prostitute, had a better theology than most Christians today. She says, I believe that your God is absolutely authoritative in the heavens. He reigns over all the heavens. And that reign is extended to the earth. So in other words, there is no place that your God does not reign. Wow. She submitted to who he was as the sovereign God. You know why that is significant? Because in the ancient Near Eastern context, think of of Egypt. Gods reigned over certain elements and in certain regions. The God of the land, or the God of the lake, or the God of the heaven, or the God of the sea. They had different gods for different regions and different elements. She acknowledges something which is foreign to pagan understanding. She says, your God, he is the only God who reigns over all the heavens and over all the earth. What does it exclude? Absolutely nothing. So that means there is one God and it is your God. What faith, what theology from Rahab, the prostitute. She submitted 
to his lordship. She submitted to his rule. She submitted to his sovereignty. And she believed that's when she got saved. Now James obviously does not mention that. Let's get back to James. He doesn't mention that. He doesn't have to mention it because they know that history. But take note at what he says. Chapter 2, 25. And in the same way, so equal to the example of Abraham, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received uh, the messengers and sent them out by another way? Her faith was present as a prostitute. Does that shock you? Her faith was present as a prostitute. Regardless of who she was as a harlot, she heard. How did she hear, by the way? Ever wonder about that? She's a prostitute. Where's her workplace? At home. Where's the chatter? In the city hub. She says, we have heard. Obviously, some of the men probably came and discussed. Have you heard? The Hebrews are coming. Do you know about their God? So did she have direct revelation? No, she did not. She had second-hand information by means of others talking about God. And what happens to her? They all heard the same information. They all discussed the same truth. But her heart is changed. What has happened? God singled out Rahab the prostitute circled out in the entire city as the woman who would receive my grace. And she was saved. Her faith was present as a prostitute. To some, this is a moral problem. And we may struggle with that when she received this truth. Her heart was changed. She was a harlot. But significantly, and I'll show you this in a moment, she didn't remain a harlot. She didn't remain that person that she was. But yes, her faith was present when she was uh, a harlot. God saves a drunkard while he's a drunkard. We witnessed this when we did ministry. I think it was in um, uh, Pucklesdorp. Guys, uh, drunk as a skunk, hears the gospel, says, I want to be saved. And I'm one of the guys thinking, yeah, right. God saved that guy's soul as a drunkard. Why do we still doubt the power of God? This is an example of the amazing grace and power of God to save sinners who do not deserve it. Rahab the prostitute, don't glance over that. It's a testimony of God's grace. Marvel at that and say, thank you, Lord. For your power to save. Now, there are a number of things that take place to demonstrate that she did not remain a harlot. The revelation of who God was was so dramatic that she realized, first of all, I'm on the wrong side of the war. I need to change alliances. I need to change sides. The first work that she demonstrates is to align herself with God and His people. Your God. I believe that Yahweh, your God. And then she says, well, take us in. Take me in and take my family in. There's something that you have to understand about Jericho. It's one of the most fortified cities in that day. 
Uh, if you read anything about archaeology, they have found evidences of this magnificent major uh, construction which is now known to be Jericho. Jericho was built on a mud hill. You can't ascend a mud hill. It's, it is awkward. They had strategically solidified this mud and built a wall right on the edge of the mud so you can't slide up. Nobody slides up. but You can't ascend up the, 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 the hill to climb the, the wall. It was impossible. And in fact, it tells us that it was one of the most fortified cities, impenetrable. They, 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 they um, prided themselves on the fact that we have this tremendous city that will never be um, that will never fall she says I know Yahweh has given you the city doesn't matter how fortified it is he's your God and he's the true God moved by second hand testimony of God's power and glory never underestimate a word spoken in casual conversation about God Secondly, another work that she does is she shows wisdom in responding to the spies. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did, um, uh, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Now, in the English, there is the word because. It's not in the original. I don't think it should be there. It just says she welcomed the spies with peace. That's the sense. Um, she did not perish with the disobedient. Instead of saying because, but would be better if you want to add a word in to complete the English sense. Um, she welcomed the spies with peace. It is interesting that James doesn't mention the faith because he doesn't need to. It is obvious. That's his point. You can see by what she did, she was saved. Now, don't confuse our hospitality with our salvation. And it seems, in verse 25, if you haven't been with us, it seems that, it seem, that, that James is alluding to this. And in the same way, was not the Rahab the prostitute justified by works? The answer is no. The word justified here is not the legal declaration of how you become a believer, but vindication, what happens after being declared right. And I will deal a little bit more with that next time because I think this verse absolutely crushes any argument that this is justification, just as Paul uh, uh, uses it. Her willingness to help the spies did not save her, but demonstrate a quality about her. You'll see the significance now. She was showing them, by the works that she did, the net result of her being saved. Another work that you can see is her consistency. It took nearly a month, about 24, 25 days. They're not exactly sure, but it, it was almost a month before the invasion actually uh, took place. She was consistent in helping. She was consistent in keeping the secret. She was consistent in remaining faithful to the promise that I won't tell the king about you or where you guys are. Now, it is true that she didn't know how to appropriate the faith that she believed or, or that, that she had. She didn't fully yet understand what it means to live for God. And that will become evident in a moment that something changed. But she moved. When she met these spies, she immediately moved to protect them. She kept her promise. 
She did as they requested and she remained true throughout. There is consistency. The last work that you can see is that she denounced her existence as a child of Jericho. She left behind her life in Jericho and moved to be with the people of God. It is important to note the plural nature of what James uses in verse 24. He says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by plural works? Does she not demonstrate by many works that she is saved? The answer is yes. She fled to God. She fled to God's people. She denounced her people. She um, uh, protected God's people. She cared for her family. You remember she says, protect uh, my family as well. And she remained faithful to her uh, promise. Lastly, she denounces her life as a prostitute. And uh, I have what? Nine minutes left. I'll take less than that. I'm going to point out the sovereignty of God in the life of Rahab very quickly. We know she did not remain a harlot. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. From this one verse, there's a tremendous implication for God's sovereignty. Look at verse 5. And Solomon, uh, let, me, let me back up. Verse 2. Abram was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, uh, by, um, Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Pause there. Who was Salmon's wife? Rahab. Rahab married Salmon. She left a life of holotry. But take note what happens next. Salmon was the father of what? Boaz. Who's Boaz? Husband of Ruth. Who was Ruth? A Moabitess. What was the Moabite? An enemy of the Jews. By God's sovereign plan, he brings in Rahab, a harlot, a stranger and an enemy of the Jew, to marry a Judahite. So that the son of this Judahite would have a soft place for a foreigner and an enemy of the Jews, which was Ruth. What is that? God's sovereignty at work in selecting an individual who seems to be insignificant in history, and she becomes a linchpin, a chain in the line of the, um, the Messiah. In other words, let me put it this way. Without Rahab, there is no who? Boaz. Without Boaz, there's no Perez. Uh, without, sorry, Jesse. Without Jesse, there is no David. Without David, there is no great king and there is no line to Jesus Christ. Wow. God's sovereign plan is at work in the life of Rahab. 
way before David, God divinely and strategically raises up a woman in an enemy country, condemns the entire country, singles out a prostitute and says, I will show my grace to you so that through you a son would be born and so that he would show kindness to a woman from an enemy country so that the line of the king would continue. Wow. Rehab was changed by the grace of God and she continued to change by the grace of God. Proof that her life was changed. She settled with Salmon. She protected God's people. Now let's give attention to the significance of all that I've just given you to the historical context here in James chapter 2. There are two actions that she does. She received them and sent them out. She received them and sent them out. The word here is hid in Hebrew. When she received them, she hid them. That's James changes that word in Greek to she received. Instead of saying she hid them, he says she received them. So listen to what he's saying. She received, she showed hospitality, she took them in, she welcomed them, she treated them as family. That is the implication of she received them. Does this sound awfully familiar to you? Look up at chapter 2, verse 16. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? There's a verb that carries over. Go. What did she do? She received and then she sent. What, did they, what, do, they, what do they do in verse 16? Go. And I hope God takes care of you. I hope that your situation gets better. There was no receiving. So contextually what James is doing is saying, this woman, Rahab the harlot, shows greater faith and care for God's people than what you are doing. It's a condemnation on their faith. You, are, you have no response but this superficial, uh, super spiritual, empty pronouncement of blessing. James is showing that the reality of the inactive faith speaks something about their faith. Often People wait for pastors to give them application, and and I hope that you are already starting to see application. The deduced application should be evident here. There should be personal responsibility of God's people for God's people. There must be a change of life for those who claim to have faith. There must be consistency in the person who says that I've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There must be works. Those are applicational thoughts. Don't expect me to tell you how it looks in your life. This woman who had no reason to care for, the peop- for these people, who had no reason to protect them, she does. Why? Because she believed in God and her heart changed. She immediately cared for them. 
In other words, she responded in the appropriate way to God's people. That is what it means to have active faith. She was called a prostitute not to shame her, but to show the grace of God to the most unlikely person in an entire pagan nation and as an exemplary example of faith that works. Her faith becomes an example to us as New Testament believers. Therefore, James focuses on her works and not her salvation. So when he says, in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works? He's not focusing on how she got saved, but what happened when she got saved. Let me give you a biblical example of what it looks like when you are changed. Look at Luke chapter 3. I'll just read it and then we'll end on that. You may know the context here. John the Baptist. Uh, Um, Baptist is preaching. Notice what he says in verse 7. He said to the crowds that came out to be baptized uh, by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able, uh, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, God doesn't need you. He can raise up people from wherever and whatever region he chooses to. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees, plural, not Israel. Every tree is singular, so the trees there is plural people. And every tree is singular people, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. It's not the fact that you bear fruit. You have to bear the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. That's the point. The crowds asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, whoever has two tunics is to share it with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do Likewise, the immediate response is take care of those who belong to you. It's a sign that God has changed your heart. But look, in verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you should. Uh, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked, "And uh, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. In other words, when you become a follower of God, your life changes. That's the point. Father, we are so dependent upon you. We are so needful. We have to confess that we we look at our own lives, do not have the kind of works and consistency that Rahab demonstrates. Forgive us, Lord. There are those who have been burdened by these sermons, and rightly so. We pray for them. We pray that you would give them the grace of one more day, that they may repent of their sins and turn to you, Lord. 
We pray for those who are believers and have been disobedient for many years. Father, by your grace, change their perspective of the priorities of life. Forgive us. Help us. Cause us to care for those who belong to you. Help us to love them. Help us to be self-sacrificing. Help us to love your people because you have loved us first. Change this church for your glory that you may receive the majesty and the glory that alone belongs to you. Make us a shining light of the gospel and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in this community and in Western Cape as we give thanks to you for Christ's name we pray. Amen.